0: Americans United is Fighting Back. Freedom without favor and equality without exception. Learn more about AU at au.org slash curious. Darling, I was on a vacation recently and stayed at an Airbnb. And then I realized that while I was away, my empty house could be making money, honey. If you're someone like me that is busy and not home all the time, your home could be an Airbnb. And it's actually pretty simple to get started. Even if you don't have a whole house, you could start with just a spare room. Personally, I really enjoy staying at Airbnbs. I really do. I love a good Airbnb. Who is that? Come back British you. And it really is a great way to like support local economy and support local people. So Airbnb is fabulous. And I know I was doing my British voice earlier, but We love Airbnb. So think about what you could do with some extra cash. Whether you're looking to treat yourself to something nice like a shopping spree or a spa day or start a whole side hustle, Airbnb can help you be that person. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. They always say trust your gut. But one time, my gut told me to bleach my eyebrows. And that was fashionable, but not widely well-received. While probiotics can't help you with most of your gut decisions, it can give your gut a little bit of support. And Ritual has your back. They made a three-in-one supplement with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Did you know daily disturbances like poor diets, stress, travel, the use of certain medications, and plenty of other factors can throw off your gut microbiome? Oh, no! enter ritual their symbiotic plus has been a gorgeous tool there's no more shame in your gut game symbiotic plus and ritual are here to celebrate not hide your insides get 25 off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com curious start ritual or add symbiotic plus to your subscription today that's ritual.com curious for 25 off Welcome to Getting Curious. I'm Jonathan Van and every week I sit down for a 30-minute conversation, or very probably going to be longer, because, honey, I can't keep time, with a brilliant expert to learn all about something that makes me curious, and that, honestly, I could probably know way more about and speak more eloquently on. This week, I'm asking, have we lost the capacity to be civil, comma, how do I not lose my marbles when I'm dealing with someone who I just fundamentally disagree with on a very many subjects? So, I'm joined in studio by one of America's leading progressive voices, Sally Cohn. Who, by the way, was a commentator on Fox, so she really knows what she's talking about. Welcome to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. I'm really, really excited. Uh, Today's episode is going to be really, really fun. I have someone who is very gene, very charismatic, very smart, very organized. You've had a very... Uh really, really amazing career. You've done a lot of really good work. You, I just learned a Rwanda piece of it, which is gorgeous. I feel like I missed that TED Talk because I saw I saw the other ones, but I must have missed the one that you did about Rwanda because I didn't even know. So, without any further ado, as one of my favorite old teachers would have—well, she's not old, but one of my favorite teachers would have said, "Without further ado, welcome, Sally Cohn." Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Me too. You. Yay. So, where should we start your gorgeous story? Like, do you want to start at the beginning? Like, who? Well, so here's the thing. Here's what I'll yeah. tell you for at the beginning. Tell me everything. My initial question is, how do I handle Twitter trolls, internet <laughs> people who I who I just do not fundamentally agree with? How do I reach into their hearts, honey? How do I change minds through hearts for a concerned citizen, as you know, for the future of our country? Second, who are you? Who is you? Because Inquiring of, minds. Well, because I feel like you are <laughs> – I feel like you're kind of doing things that lend itself to my question. So you you reach – you are someone who has to reach across. You, like me, have to, like, deal with people's preconceived notions about, like mm. – so how do you do it? I feel like you're more composed than I am.
1: Oh, my gosh. I, I – Ah, we could, we could just spend the mutual affection society for but hours not,
0: on end. But I feel like... But I feel like I've been struggling to funk in my own words with, mm-hmm. like, I've really been, like, honey, I've... Tom Petty has become my middle name, and I have... I accidentally started, like, blocking random people. Like, if, oh. like if someone, like, says something on Instagram, yeah. like, hits me in a certain way, if I'm really just, like, raw that day, because, honey, she's been going through it lately... I will just. I find myself like blocking eleven people in a row that's who okay. like like to comment, and I'm like, you know what? If you're out here liking some salty information about me, honey, I'm blocking you. That's okay. And then I don't think about it again. But then I realize that that's not really like on brand. That's not really who she is. Like that's just – she's a knee-jerk reaction to – but but then I'm like, so you don't get to see my figures getting anymore though.
1: Well, I mean social <sighs> media isn't a democracy. Social media is a cesspool that unfortunately is increasingly influencing our democracy. And that's where it becomes hard, right, as you feel like, well, wait, I need to create this democratic space and this space for engagement and information and inclusion, which is true and important and – it's also your space. You get to define it. You get to set the parameters. It's okay to block. I'm not a very active blocker myself because I just don't have that much time. <laughs>
0: a... I apparently yeah. do. <laughs> I <laughs> do. Mean, I
1: got on Twitter in like 2009. I was late when, to that party. You know, I was unfortunately early and I got on when I was a openly lefty lesbian on Fox News. So I got some trolls.
0: Um, leftist. How did you get that job? What happened? Also, too, let me just qualify okay, yeah, this for go. people really, really quickly, because I was curious about this, too. Because you have a law degree. You're, mm. you're, um, you're... Retired. Yes, but I was, but what I was going to say is that your resume is major. Oh,
1: stop Like, it. but you, I
0: mean, she's got, I mean, you have lots of stuff. Like, you, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a title, honey. Do you want to say it?
1: Um, okay, wait. So here's, here. this is very short. It's a very short history of me. Um, I was a community organizer and an activist for... 15 years. Right. Somewhere in there, I did, in fact, get a law degree uh, because people I knew who were great organizers and activists, they had them, mm-hmm. taught them how to think and argue and be persuasive. And I wanted to do that. Yeah. And um, and Me I did too. that. Yeah. I mean, it's and it's like it's applied graduate school. It's super great for helping organize your thinking and understanding history in the world and how power works and all of those things. Um, but I was always an organizer. I was always an activist. And I did that for 15 years. I worked for National groups working on queer rights, criminal justice reform, uh, immigration reform, and I would like travel around the country and wherever there were local groups of people who wanted to make change in their communities, I tried to help.
0: Love it was great. It was You're a wonderful a change work. facilitator. It was.
1: It was. Listen. It was. Um, it's all I've ever done. It's all my mentors taught me to do. It's how That's my parents raised me, is. and it feels good. And it makes a difference. And I've been blessed to be able to do that.
0: I love that. And I also, like, thank you for all your hard work, because it's really major.
1: Thank you. Well, thank you. Um, so then how
0: did the Fox yeah. News thing happen?
1: <laughs> well, as happen as one does. No, I was... Um- I was speaking at a... Uh, see, there was a mouth noise. Did you hear it there? I we loved all have it. Them. Thank we were you.
0: talking about our experience of like recording audiobooks and how uh, scary and overwhelming it is right before we were here. So that's just to let you in on that. But no, I, I didn't even noises. notice. It It was not a mouth oh, noise. I love you. So I was, uh,
1: I was super happy as an organizer. I loved it. Um, and one day I was speaking at a conference and this woman comes up to me and she says, we have to get you on television. And I said, no, we do not. Yeah. Because <laughs> like, A, I... Thought then, and I maybe still do think now, that television is pretty much evil. Didn't have a television. Didn't think there was anything good worth watching on it. Um, certainly not in the realm of news or, or information. And uh, and B, I was an organizer. And the whole ethos of organizing is, like, you're in the background. You're putting the yeah. affected communities and the leaders on the ground. You're putting them in the spotlight. Yeah, you're not, like, the
0: spokesperson yourself. No,
1: like, it's ant- antithetical. So I turn to walk away, and this woman grabs my arm, and she says, No, you're going to do this, and you're going to be good at it. Mm. and she was uh, this woman in television her name was Geraldine Laybourne. she was the first woman ever to run a TV network she wrote Nickelodeon and then she and her friend Oprah started Oxygen ah. so she didn't take no for an answer and I was like alright I'll be like a more media savvy organizer that'll be useful whatever and then two things happened I realized okay first of all this is a way to make a difference and this is like 2009 2010 media is getting more and more important in politics and activism in the world and I was like okay Uh, I can make a difference here. I can not only learn skills from my field, but like, you know, instead of 10 people in a church basement, you get a million people on TV. That's huge. Yeah, And I liked it. Yeah. I realized I liked it. I was good at it. My community, the field I came from was um, supportive of me in that role. And, uh, you know, I did what baby pundits do. You go on, CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News.
0: So you kind of ran all the gamut. And
1: then one day, uh, I saw this guy on the street who kind of looked... I thought he looked like Roger Ailes, who ran Fox News. I waved at him. He waved at me.
0: Oh, my God. I know.
1: The next day, he called me, brought me into his office. He told me I have pretty eyes.
0: Ew, I said that, too. I know. You do have pretty eyes. Yeah, but he
1: said it five times in, like, three minutes. And you know what? It was creepier when he said it. I'm not So lie. you
0: kind of, Okay, so what year is this? <laughs> I got off easy. So what year uh, is that was this? was
1: 2010...
0: Wow, so that's interesting, yeah. though, that you immediately like, were like, oh, okay, like, that's what time it is around here.
1: I mean, I, I, listen, listen. I get a lot from just from being on TV and, you know, right, like everybody has to be clear. Social media, our culture in general, it's just nasty and toxic and we treat people badly. And I get a lot of it for being queer and for being a woman and for being a lefty. But there's a set of things I am, as a butch dyke, I am pretty blessed to not have to deal with. And I escaped Fox News pretty, that was like the worst thing. Well, that's not true. That's not the worst thing he ever said. When I left Fox, then, (laughs) then Roger Ailes said to me, uh, he again told me how pretty my eyes were a couple of times. And then he said, I mean, quote, you're so beautiful. Men must not know what to do with you.
0: Oh my god.
1: I was like, that's okay, I don't know what to do with them either.
0: Uh so it's well, fine. I, that's a cute or re- a great rhetoric. Thank it's you so much. Better than cute. I mean So what how long were you there?
1: I was there for two and a half years, three years, something like that.
0: Okay, so that's like a really good and that was from When to When?
1: Oh, gosh. Somewhere in 2010 to to somewhere in 2013.
0: So that, I think, really qualifies you extremely well for how to keep your cool when dealing with people that fundamentally disagree with you and how to reach people, you know, kind of through their hearts and minds. I find myself myself struggling with, like, knee-jerk reactions a lot, like in a Twitter space. I also Mm -hmm. will find myself... um, I feel like because Donald Trump has lost his motherfucking mind um and quote so many um Kind of obsolete and like large and out of context facts that when he's talking about facts that sometimes all reach for a knee jerk fact that is factual and it's not nearly as stupid and bad as his. Like it's 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 a. It's a it's
1: well, a, he's lying. Let's yeah. don't
0: mince your words. Like oh, he's, yeah, yeah. He's, oh, yeah. He's oh yeah, he's lying. lying. Yeah, okay. yeah, he's you're lying.
1: like trying to find facts. Yes. Go on. Okay. But it's
0: like I feel like I could if I like was like you know was a little bit calmer in the in that space and like really like you know thought it out and like really like went and searched for the exact you know, fact check where I could like say like, and because of this and if Twitter was like, you know, 500 characters instead of the however many, 230 or whatever that is. But I find myself giving myself permission to be a hot mess because Mm -hmm. he is a hot mess and not a hot mess. I mean, I get that it's to a less degree, but I, it's like, do you win more with honey than vinegar? Like, do we have to be the bigger person? Like when they go low, do we go high or do we get lower and nastier, but with brute facts, you know? And how do I get said facts? What do you think?
1: <laughs> um, I, there's a lot in there, honey. There was. I, I am first of all like so. I, it, this it, it, this is a hot mess of a time, right? And it's not just him. Like we're just like. We're cursing, right? We've we decided yeah, we're yeah, cursing, yeah, yeah. so shit's going off the rails in our democracy, where we thought things were headed as a like we, we thought we were better than I have another question. This. I have another question. Not yeah, to yeah. interrupt you, but this I love is kind of major. An a, interrupter, go. But,
0: oh, okay. I am majorly an interrupter. It's all good. Yeah. Okay. So when you were at Fox, as someone who is a white person, you correct. Um, how did you? Because, I mean, I feel like white privilege is something that has only really come into, like, the lexicon in my mind as something that I, like, normally talked about and was like, oh, what does that mean? Because I think a lot of white people, when they first hear white privilege, get, like, uh, their ruffles feathered. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you mean? It's kind of like when in Eckhart Tolle's A New Earth, when I read Ego, I was like, I don't have an ego. Go girl. Go, girl. I was like, there's, I don't have one of those. I don't, And then I was like, <gasps> I was like, my ego just said that I don't have an ego and that I'm not like, you know what I mean? We all have that little baby we voice in our head. Yeah. Like yeah. we all have like the life, the narrative that we've attached to ourselves, blah, blah, blah. So, but as I've learned more about like what privilege, white, what white privilege is and how, you know, history has affected it, like what was your observation of, because I, I think that to understand a lot of Fox News's sheer contempt for or love of Trump comes from their sheer contempt for Obama. So what was that like in Fox News? I mean, people, what was that about? Like, did you, you, I mean, wasn't that like a major through line for their like ticker tape all the time? Yeah, I mean- why did uh, they so much there's so much
1: oh my gosh you, you know what your problem is is you ask these like phenomenally and layered i, I want to talk about
0: every but single But then I interrupt point the question it. no
1: you're brilliant um but first of all you're exactly right and 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 obviously white privilege uh you know <laughs> as a thing has been all around for forever and certainly in like certain circles of the activist left uh, has been discussed about. Has been discussed for some time. Oh, I only learned it, about it like two years the ago. Mainstream, no, but that's one of the great things about the moment we're in. And I think we need to pause sometimes to realize like as much bad shit is now kind of gone mainstream because the speed of history and the mass communications, right? There's also good stuff too. Good conversations, important uh, ways that people can educate themselves even if they're in very isolated places and, mm-hmm. and spaces and whatever. Um, and... You really haven't lived until you've gotten to write uh, about white privilege for in essays that actually appear on the Fox News website. Like, I just want to say, those are some fun life experiences. Because they just um, tell you
0: to, like, drop dead afterwards? There's no
1: question that there was, like, an Obama derangement syndrome, right? And, it's, and I think it is different than, like, when people try to say it's the same thing as the way that the left is responding to Trump right now. And yet there is a sort of uh, unhinged, like— right like a lot of the reasons people are freaking out about Trump right now are incredibly incredibly probably well founded and, and justified and and, Nix, and yeah. like and people part of the evidence of that is that you're seeing people across the spectrum including some republicans of conscience who are also freaking out and at the same time to go like hyperbolic and off the deep end and not just to uh and to sort of make it too much all about Trump and not about the moment we're in right so i think trump's a He's a symptom. He's not the cause of what we're going through, for instance, nor do I think, by the way, Obama is right that there is this. um,
0: It's bigger than their presidencies.
1: It's supremely bigger than their presidencies. And what I became aware of. So for me, kind of I think I'm answering your question. What I became aware of is as someone who would for most of my life not had to interact much with conservatives interpersonally. Right. I sort of did politically, but not in a day to day kind of way, except for family. Um, And even then, that's kind of seasonal. Um, And who had like organized my organizing as a baby organizer. I was coming up in the beginnings of the culture war and the. Far right were my enemy. And yeah, they the tea,
0: that tea party in 2009 oh, and pre-tea 10? party.
1: We're talking moral majority. We're talking like uh, the Pat oh, Robertson and the right and all of that where it was the like. The
0: 99 I
1: was. I wasn't just wrong. Right. My existence was wrong. Yes. Right. It wasn't just a like I with love me. you
0: as a person, but I disagree with your fundamental right to exist.
1: Correct. Yeah. And like you're.
0: But only love you so much as a person so far you're... as that I'm not going to kill you. Correct. Yeah.
1: And I had all of these ideas about not just the leaders. Right. Of those movements, but the followers. And I in my mind, I conflated them. And one of my political mentors, a woman named Jean Hardesty, who wrote um, a really important book about that era in history. She used to infiltrate all these, like, right-wing moral majority meetings before the internet. She would actually physically go. Yeah. uh, And she said, you have to understand that the leaders aren't the followers. And it's true. The followers are more complex. Their motivations are more complex. Anyway, and I realized, like— The followers
0: or the leaders aren't the followers.
1: Everybody who watches Sean Hannity isn't Sean Hannity. Right? Right. Even everybody who says they agree with Sean Hannity doesn't mean they are Sean Hannity. It doesn't mean they agree with 100% of right. everything he says. And to recognize and to try to find in others a little bit – let me answer your question differently. I believe in change, mm-hmm. right? If I've dedicated my whole you know, 20-plus years of my life to the idea that people and systems can change, right? If I believe systems and institutions can change and people can change, then do I really believe it? And if I believe people can change, then that means I have to find a little bit of space and grace for people to change. I have to believe in forgiveness. I have to believe in transformation. And that doesn't mean it's possible for everyone. Often I, I realized what I caught myself doing when I got to Fox is I realized, oh, I want that permission from my side. I want my side to be able to screw up and be forgiven or to be a little ignorant on an issue or perspective or whatever and be, and be forgiven. But I don't want that for others, for them, for the, the you know, mm. the enemy. right. And goes back to even now, in this moment, to your point, do we go high, when they go high, do we go high, or do we go low? Look, my my core thing is if we let Trump define our values, then he's won more than an election. right? So I want to act every day in a way that is, you're
0: proud of like in 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 a year or two's time.
1: Well, and that builds the world I think it should be, right? And so in the world I want, we don't just treat queer people with respect. We treat straight people with respect. We don't just treat the wokest of the woke with respect. We treat, you know, uh, uh, we treat the people who are still waking up mm. or who are in a deep sleep. We treat them with respect, like respect, too.
0: Like, what's that? Yeah. I mean, well, because I guess if you come in, you know, guns blazing about, like, how backwards they are, like, you're it's, – it's already lost, like, before it's even started.
1: Well, and it's – there's an arrogance to it because – I was there too, right? Once upon a time, someone had to pull me aside. Some people still have to pull me aside and try to school me when I fuck up, when I don't know something, when I don't understand something. And I've lived a blessed life. And I was raised in a progressive, you know, liberal progressive home and went to progressive schools and had mentors and, right? And I still have work to do. I still have learning to do. So, but them but I tend to look at myself and my side with some grace and forgiveness and yeah. then I assume that oh well all those people on that side well they're just hateful bigots and that's all they are and that's all they'll ever be
0: but you have seen okay that can't wait, be you guys two seconds go listen to these two you know or this it's probably just hopefully only one commercial and then we'll be right back with more Sally Cohn right after the break Honey, take a moment and just think to yourself, describe yourself in one word. Are you simple, sophisticated, or adventurous? However you dress, the stylist at Stitch Fix can help you find your favorite piece. Stitch Fix is an online personal styling service that delivers your favorite clothing, shoes, and accessories directly to you. First, you complete a style profile. Then an expert personal stylist will send you a hand-picked box of items based on your preferences. They even have men's and kids boxes too, which we love, honey. Let's get everyone, uh, you know, taken care of. Plus, I'm sure you can mix and match if they aren't, you know, in the dark ages. What if you want something from both? With no subscription required, you can pick between automatic shipments or only getting new pieces on demand. Shipping, exchanges, and returns are always free. Plus, the $20 styling fee is automatically applied towards anything you keep from your box. We love our Stitch Fix personal stylists. I can customize my own gorgeous preferences, whether it's sizing, brand, or budget. Once you finish the style quiz and set up your ideal number of deliveries, honey, you'll receive everything from jewelry to shoes to bags, all to go with your hand-picked outfits. I love that. Get started today at stitchfix.com slash JVN and get an extra 25% off when you keep everything in your box. That's S T I T C H fix.com slash JVN for an extra 25% off when you keep everything in your box. Support for today's show comes from Rakuten. Rakuten is a free member based loyalty program that lets you earn up to 40% cash back at over 2,500 stores. It's perfect for all your back to school shopping needs. Get cash back on everything from school supplies to new clothes at some of your favorite retailers like Macy's, Forever 21, Walmart, and more. And don't worry, it's always free. No gimmicks, no points to redeem. Better yet, Rakuten is so simple and easy to use. Simply go to Rakuten.com, click on the retailer you're looking for to activate the cash back, and then shop as normal. You'll earn a percentage of every purchase you make up to 40% cash back. Then, every three months, members will be paid in the form of a check or via PayPal. Sign up today at Rakuten.com. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N.com. If there is something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals, BetterHelp Online Counseling can help. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who are specialized in issues such as depression, anxiety, relationships, trauma, anger, family conflicts, LGBTQ matters, grief, self-esteem, and more. Connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. And get help at your own time and at your own pace. Anything you share is confidential. And it's so convenient. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions as well as chat and text with your therapist. If for some reason you are not happy with your counselor, though, you can request a new one at any time and for no additional charge. Best of all, it's a truly affordable option. Getting Curious with Jonathan Van Ness Listers can get 10% off your first month with the discount code JVN. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com slash JVN then simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with the counselor you'll love. That's betterhelp.com/jvn. Welcome back to getting curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. I'm uh, so we're jump we have to jump right back in because we're on a lot of good stuff there. So, in your time, well okay, so first of all, I one little baby point about um to the Obama thing and I think it's important that you say that this movement is a pendulum thing it's bigger mm-hmm. than two presidencies but i think that there was this one narrative that was attached to obama that was like he like like was soft on p- police deaths in fox news like there was a lot of like there was like oh well he inspired black lives matter because he was soft on blue lives matter like i feel like i've heard a lot of People on the right and Fox, like, say this sort of thing. Like, people in my own family, I've had to be like, no, he didn't. Like, no, he wasn't. He was very tough on crime, Being me saying about Obama. He was very tough on crime. And that whole thing in Houston when, like, that sniper guy, like, mm-hmm. he was so tough on that. He was, like, tough across the board to me on, like, all sorts of violence. To me, Obama was. Like, yeah. I don't think he was, like, in no way can, but there were so many people that were just, like, seeing a person of color in that position of power created this, like, kind of, like vitriol whereas like on the other side we were like oh my god we did it like things are kind of like getting better but like there was this whole pendulum that was like you know brewing and swinging like behind the scenes and then like all of a sudden like Donald Trump, like, does a triple axel, triple loop, like, of his life mm. into this presidency. Like, who would have ever thought, like, a triple axel, triple loop, single-footed landing. Like, he did the most impossible of the impossible into the White House. Like, no one, although the whole time that was happening, honey, I was like, you guys were way overconfident here. Like, where I'm mm. from, like, there are so many people that are going to be. But I was like, I kept believing the polls. But I, the whole time I was saying to my clients, I was like, you guys. Because I was like, but she'll win. And I was like, I super want her to, comma, I feel like she might not just because of numbers. Yeah. You know, because I'm from a place where it's heavily numbered, you know, Republican and like, you know. eh. So but that's what I was trying to get to is that I felt like that was kind of this like narrative. Did so did you is that a thing? Like, did they did you feel like they said these things
1: there? Yeah, no, no, no. That's true. I mean, I don't think I, I. Yes. Look, there's no question that, you know, there's a give and take between. What Fox is doing is stoking resentment. Yes. Right. But stoking resentment is that there's some resentment. Like, look, I I don't want to give Fox him away. I don't want to give him too much power. Like there's been a 50 plus year agenda on the part of the Republican Party. The Democrats have done it from time to time. Bill Clinton being a chief example of that. Uh, But the Republicans have since Goldwater, Nixon, right? Like going back to George Wallace, there had a strategy to win political power by mobilizing fear and resentment in particular racial fear and resentment that's been a strategy and so that just got amped up in new ways under obama right and but that's but again it's it's so yes some of this is a reaction some of in a way what set the groundwork for trump is a reaction to obama and also just in general to what obama represents which is the kind of change and diversification of America, but some of it is a continuing thread of what has been the path to success for Republicans. Well, one thing,
0: right. So one thing, which, glad you bring that up. So there was this thing that that I really was struck by today that Pat Buchanan wrote that I didn't understand. If you haven't listened to Bagman yet, y'all need to listen to that shit. I nearly had a heart attack. Have you listened to Bagman? I haven't yet. I'm sorry. Okay. I feel like I came to class unprepared. Well, no, here's the thing. Spiro Agnew was the original vice president to uh Nixon. And he had a concurrent, even worse scandal than Watergate, Watergate Watergate. That no, I didn't know about it. And it was a major. And he was like, Donald Trump literally like carbon copied, had that, had his playbook scanned to what he's doing now, which is deny, 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 stoke fear, stoke fear, stoke fear. The press is terrible. Everyone sucks if you're not, like, a white Catholic, you know, or Mm -hmm, person, mm -hmm. like, who I think is, like, looks kind of like me. So, Pat Buchanan wrote this, um, and then Donald Trump retweeted it. But this, I thought, was insane because I've long thought that this is why GOP people are so anti-immigration. But then when he wrote this, I was like, oh, my God, he literally said it himself. The more multiracial, multiethnic, multicultural, multilingual America becomes, the less it looks like Ronald Reagan's America and the more dependably demo- and the more dependably democratic it will become. The Democratic Party is hostile to white men because the smaller the share of the US population that white men become, the sooner that Democrats inherit the national estate. The only way to greater diversity, the golden calf of the Democratic Party, is to increase the number of women, African Americans, Asians and Hispanics and thereby reduce the number of white men. This is written by Pat Buchanan Mm -hmm. who, by the way, lead advisor to Nixon. Mm -hmm. Who got... Literally had to resign because he was literally caught red-handed, like, robbing the Democratic offices, who then 30% of their population still believed in when he left office. Mm. And then Pat Buchanan, who's one of his advisors, gets brought in by Reagan to be one of his lead advisors. And not to be a spoiler alert for Bagman, and if you really, like, this won't ruin all of it, but this, I was so moved by this. So as they're finding – so fast forward four minutes right now if you don't want to be spoiled on Bagman and for you, I'm just sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Um. So as these Republican – so as Nixon and the Justice Department are both realizing that they've got hardcore smoking gun evidence on Spiro Agnew that he's been taking bribes yeah. and pay for play from the governor's mansion in Maryland and also the White House as vice president – Yeah. So Nixon's like, well, we can't have this. This is major in addition to Watergate. So we need to kind of encourage them to like to to see this DA needs to see his way to letting go of this investigation. Can you see your way to letting Spiro off? He's a great guy. But it can't come from Nixon because he can't do that and because he's already under Mm -hmm. all this. So do you know who they enlist to go over to the district attorney of Maryland who was running this investigation? Who, by the way, was the little brother of a sitting Republican – or he was the little brother of a sitting Republican senator who owed a favor to Nixon? Because, like, this sitting Republican senator, like, kind of got a favor from the Nixon administration to get his seat back. His little brother is the DA. His little brother also so happens to because they are like this royalty in in Maryland, like politics. So they send over none other than the sitting chairman of the Republican National Con- or the Republican National Committee, who is George H. W. Bush, who is on paper signing in and out of this guy's office for a week, trying to lobby him to seeing his way to dropping this investigation, which is the senator.
1: Oh my god, I gotta listen to this. The
0: senator then goes and sees, tells the brother. We should, And the brother is so good, the prosecutor, he never tells the three lawyers that are building the case that that pressure was even happening. Oh. That's how good of a conscious, conscious Republican that guy was. Because they had to remove Spirou Agnew from office before Watergate broke. Because if Watergate broke before Spirou Agnew was removed, he was going to be vice president. And what's also very fucked up is that then they bring in Ford, who would go on to pardon Nixon. Crazy. And Spiru Agnew got out never paying a dime back for any of the bribes that he took and also got no prison time, even with smoking guns.
1: God bless America.
0: So the fact that this literally is ripped. I mean, Spiro Agnew's playbook is ripped mm-hmm. from, ripped from the headlines, honey. Mm-hmm. She's law and order. Mm-hmm. Not to be all doom and gloom at your time in Fox and Sense, Have you seen, I mean, I know that people are capable of change, but can you please give me some <laughs> person who was just a motherfucking son of a nightmare who ended up becoming like a woke ass person and like ended up like fighting for the a cause.
1: Well, I mean I don't mean like Spiro Agnew level right Nobody or like for that
0: matter Pat Buchanan level but here's
1: what well, I'll, I'll tell you.
0: Well, first I of need all, a Silver lining playbook I, moment. I got
1: one for you honey. Oh, good, okay, okay. Like first of all I know people who are better today than they were 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And you know them too.
0: Yeah, by my the way. dad's one. My right? dad's one. Mm-hmm. So
1: there you go. We know them. We know He's it's like possible. a libertarian
0: supporter now. But we of- know
1: people can change. And by the way, we also know that change isn't linear, right? We know that people can, like, you know, get better on the environment and,
0: like, still Ugh. be
1: off on She's like, racial grief. justice I or, right? hate or that. I hate that. So, but because well, people are we just complicated. I know
0: we're nightmares for such onions. Ugh.
1: And you know, the other thing is, and I'm just going to crush on you for a second if you don't mind, but. Like, I take serious... Seriously, I'm not just saying this because you're here. Um, I take serious hope from watching the new Queer Eye. Ah. And the the evolution from, like, look, we're going to be... I loved the first Queer Eye. It was foundational. It was important. It was right. But it was a very uh, tolerance-forward, sort of muted kind of gayness. And it was all about just being in the room and, like, look, we can touch you and you don't get diseased and yeah. whatever, right? And to see the arc of culture and the arc of queer identity and a sort of a more like we used to say we're here we're queer get used to it but we were not like we were some pretty muted uh you know assimilationist queers and to see now your show and how like super super queer you are and the kinds of conversations you're having with people who like man i thought season two was a revelation about this country and it because you see you having these conversations where you're being honest about your fears too Right? About people's bigotry and bias and blind spots. And at the same time, you're being, like, honest about how you feel and your fears, and you're still being your damn selves and showing up and having those hard conversations and beautiful conversations. And that's actually – that shows that people can change. You changed people. Well,
0: thank you. And I also – thank you. And I also think that, you know, like, Rachel and Jennifer, who I love so much, and – uh, David Collins and Rob Eric and um, Michael Collins and the people at Scout product. Those are the guys from Scout and mm-hmm. they're all, you know, David's the creator of the show and also like the team at Netflix who is so supportive and, and also the people at ITV who are also supportive. And I mean, really the crew of Queer Eye is so diverse and is so, I mean, there's a lot of people that, that, that help that it's mm-hmm. not just the five of us. And so, but also just one thing that I think, you know, is lost on, any of you or not on any of you, but people that are all of you, but no, but like young people specifically and, and saying that you were like assimilationist queers at that time. Um, it was such a different time I remember mm. being in 2002 in high school and putting a scarf over my hair and putting like mascara and eyeshadow on and like mm-hmm. and putting on like a dress and a um a dress and like a heel and I went to like this town in Missouri to just like walk in the street with my girlfriends like because I just like wanted to and we literally had to I'm not kidding you guys run for our life mm-hmm. like what started off is like we were, is there anyone around no no then I get out of the car I walk across the street and all of a sudden like, people saw like we had to run to the car and like peel out of town Mm -hmm. so like it I think people were and also coastally I'm sure like now there probably were more like progressive people but I think that there was a lot of like we were doing what people were doing the most that what they felt comfortable and the and the the environment was not super friendly. At oh God, no! All. I didn't
1: mean that as like a. No, uh, I, know, I, know. I was one of them. No,
0: <laughs> right? no, no, no! I know, but yeah. I'm just saying. But I'm just saying. Like, I think that kids now, and I is a 31 year old. It's like so weird I can say that, but I do think that it's like when when I was talking about like when I said something about Mitt Romney on Twitter and basically just saying that like I was like, oh my God, that uphead queens like he is. He, like, that's clear that the establishment's going to run a primary challenger, and and, and historically, whenever a, pr- a strong primary challenger has run, it's created a weakened incumbent who's gone on to lose the election. So a strong establishment challenger is good for—it's tr- good for a weakened Trump, which, is, in my opinion, is good for all of us. So when he wrote that output on Twitter, I was like, yay— um, like this, I put like blue heart, rainbow emoji, like Mitt, honey, they're com- they're sick in someone. I mean, it was like a joke, but it was, I was in no way endorsing Mitt Romney as okay. a, and so, but then like this, this journalist did this like really uninformed, like dumb, dumb takedown piece that like took out of context what I was saying and kind of attacked me about it and like misconstrued what I was saying, which is unfortunate and also leads me to another question about like attacking people that are on your own team and like how mm, to go do about, please. and how to do that in a way that's like moves the conversation forward but doesn't like bite people that really are trying to help um cuz i think that's important and and understanding the difference between like good journalism and clickbait and like being a good person you know um, <laughs> wait is this a
1: dream that it, doesn't exist it's
0: like it's like oh, yeah it's it's right right it is is that the thing it just doesn't exist is that what it is
1: i mean it doesn't get clicked cuz that, that's right well, it, was, it doesn't the, get incentivized but wait, what you're saying is really important. And I think, I mean, everything you're saying is important. But at this point, um, look, I think you have to hold all people accountable, right? Uh, and that's the only way we get better, right? It wasn't by, uh, you know, tolerating. Homophobia—that the world has changed and gotten better. The way it wasn't by tolerating segregation and tolerating the idea of women as marital property. And right, like you don't—it is like a three—but
0: it is like a three steps forward, two steps back sort of a thing.
1: Always. And I guess my approach is first of all to, to be constantly aware of my own blind spots. And part part of what the problem is with this hyper-partisanship is we have this sort of me and my side are perfect and infallible and you and your side every, you know And, and I'm going to see everything you do in the worst possible way or they do in the worst possible way. And I'm going to constantly give excuses and make excuses for my own side. And that's that leads to what we call hypocrisy. So part of it, it to me is actually owning like so in my book, I tried to write about all the fucked up and blind spotted and stupid and right the ways I need to learn and grow it because I feel like if I'm acknowledging my own problems I can then talk not only to the people on the other side but yeah we have to hold our side accountable too because we have to constantly do better and just because you're on the quote unquote right team doesn't mean you get a pass what's your gorgeous book called it's called the opposite of hate a field guide to repairing our humanity
0: <sighs> honey that's a gorgeous other mouthful Thank so you, what else honey. did you what else did you find in this book what else did you kind of oh yeah P.S. You guys, I wasn't endorsing Matt. I was just oh, saying no, that like a weekend, uh, Donald is a good look for good look for us, and I'm hoping that it happens. And I also hope and hope that some Republicans with conscience do or con- with a conscience do step up and start really smelling the f- smoke because mm-hmm. this is scary. Like the Republican platform and how they were easy on Ukraine and how all of these mm-hmm. dominoes are falling right into place. It is scary to not see the writing on the walls. I think is like literally scary, but anyway. No, no, no. I want to talk Every about the book. Every day and gets I, scarier. I want to talk about the book and I also want to talk about Rwanda and what happened there with you, what, what your experience in Rwanda was.
1: So I basically because I had this experience of going to Fox as a lefty uh, and realizing that these people who I thought I hated who I thought hated me uh, having that... Trans- Look, when you get to know people, it changes. It changes your perceptions. There's no... Brene Brown says people are hard to hate up close, mm. right? Not impossible mm-hmm. <laughs> at all, but like Harder, right? Yeah. Um, and so I wanted to write a book both about my own experience of hate and trying to root it out in myself, in all of its forms—from unconscious racial bias to partisanship, to you, you name it—and at the same time share the stories of people who had made dramatic transformations away from hate. Because we think that hate is this inevitable thing, right, in others and our hate for them, and it's just—and it's this death spiral of nastiness. And so one of the things I did was I spent time with ex-neo-Nazis and former terrorists and people who had gone through and participated in the worst genocide in uh, in terms of speed, right? And, and, and one of the most recent genocides in human history in Rwanda. And, you know, listen, like, there's nothing to make you feel more intensely depressed about what human beings are capable of than to meet people who one day for very thin with very thin motives turned on and massacred their neighbors including their neighbor's children and and the fact that people came out of that and rebuilt not only their country but their relationships uh are figuring out how to get beyond that uh is endlessly redemptive and to me, that's that's like you gotta look. There's as many dark clouds as there are silver linings. So we happen to be in a really fucking dark cloud right now as a country and as a people. Um, but I look at stories like that. Uh, I look at history as imperfect as it's been in our country. That it's we've managed to do better. Like we are we are a better country. Uh, two steps forward, one step back. But we we keep.
0: It always gets better.
1: Oh, it is even in the face of this horrible retrenchment and backlash that Trump represents, and and so I, it may be naive, um, but I want to constantly be a way or a a, a stand up for the idea that people can do better and change.
0: I love that. I also I love that, and I wish I could end on that, but I had too much of a thought, so I have to say it. if you think of midterms as like taking a temperature on where a country is, in 2010 we learned in our in a episode a couple months ago with Sister District, um, which is an amazing organization, mm-hmm. that we lost like 19 chambers and like full like a thousand legislative seats in the 2010 midterm election, and that was a pretty good, and we were all asleep for it. I mean, maybe. I certainly was. I didn't realize that that happened then until I learned about it and when she told me that. And that was a pretty good idea of like a, not that cute of a forecast. Like, forecasts not looking great. Like, you know, definitely tropical storms coming for you. Like, get some boards. Like, seek shelter. None of us did. We were still laying out at the beach, having a great time. And um, then in 16, you know, that was an electoral message of, Mm -hmm. but still, you know, he lost by 3 million votes, couldn't ever prove otherwise. Mm -hmm. And then, so which is a silver lining. And also in our most recent midterm, I think that was also one clear message that was sent on the temperature of like where our country is going. So, you know, I think there is getting better. There are people doing good work. So if we can keep on that momentum, I'm not saying we should be complacent, but I think if we can keep going on that momentum and keep having difficult conversations, I think that we could get somewhere if we don't fall asleep at the wheel. Um, I was struck by how much I loathed Lindsey Graham uh, and uh, Mitch McConnell. Also, as you were talking about some of the worst uh, things in history, uh, Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell both popped up in my head. Mm. Um, (coughs) Kentucky and South Carolina, please do us a solid. We are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, Or North Carolina, whichever Graham is from. South, you're great. Okay, great. Thank you. Namaste. Here for you. Um, So this has come to the point in yoga class where it's like, did we miss plow pose? Did we miss triangle? You were really hoping to do it. Oh God. Okay. Well, if you went to
1: are we in Shavasana? That's my best pose. We're I really coming, we're excel coming.
0: I love Shavasana too, but we're, we're approaching Shavasana. But this is the part in class where it's like, oh, I was really trying to do headstands, and this guy talked my ear off about Lindsey Graham the whole time, and I missed, you know, my chance to do inversion. But what else? Like, what about <laughs> that? What about, like, is there what inversion do we need to hit before we hit this, like, gorgeous green salad?
1: We can walk and chew gum at the same time, we can want the country to be better and criticize our. Uh, opponents and criticize our allies and hold their feet to the fire we can win elections and we can talk about populist progressive solutions and policy like we don't like we're just it's a lot the of point. abundance we don't have obscurity. to be assimilationist democrats anymore either right because the country's with us the country actually believes in raising taxes for the rich and in having full legal access to abort like they, they believe these things why the hell don't we stand up for them right and so I, I guess, I don't know, I'm optimistic in the long term,
0: super well, another, depressed well, in the short well, term. Well, another, <laughs> well, I mean, uh, well, piece, pieces of where a lot of that go together. I mean, my set had always said that the evil of all of it in every war, what it's always come down to is money. Mm. And when it comes to gun control, mm. um, medication, health care, a lot of people get a lot a of rich off people dying from guns, people buying guns, uh, people needing meds. For all sorts of different reasons, and like how the patents work for those. And there's a reason why comprehensive healthcare is an issue. It's because a lot of really rich elites who will never even know their name are so, so rich. And that's gonna take a lot of unpacking and a lot of like onion grilling to figure out, honey. I don't even understand it, but I know know know. that it's like like a whole mess. But I'm obsessed with you. Oh
1: my gosh, I'm so obsessed with you. Book is. Uh, oh, I know this. The opposite of hate: A Field Guide to Repairing Our Humanity.
0: Available.
1: Uh, I don't know wherever books are sold. That and sounds promising. Sh- oh, oh, paperback is coming out. I think if you like me, are cheap and want a paperback, uh, I think it comes out at the end of March. Something What's your like that.
0: Twitter? What's your Instagram?
1: Uh, it's all at Sally Cohn K O H N.
0: Love. Um, so you guys follow Sally. I really love spending this time with you, and thank you so much for coming, being a guest on Getting Curious. Oh
1: my gosh, I wish it could last forever. <laughs>
0: You've been listening to Getting Curious with me, Jonathan Van Ness. My guest this week was Sally Cohn. You'll find links to Sally's work and socials in the episode description of whatever you're listening to the show on. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter. Our theme music is Freak by Quinn. Thank you, Quinn. We are so grateful for you letting us use your gorgeous song for our theme song. Uh, If you enjoyed our show, introduce a friend, honey. Show them how to subscribe. Let them know what time it is as far as getting into podcasts. Getting Curious is produced by Cody Ziegler. Thank you, Cody. Sarah, thank you, Shami. Hanny, you're the best. Julia Carrillo, thank you for helping me get out of the house with like shoes on. Um, Ray, also, thank you for helping me get into the world with shoes on. Um, and Colin Anderson, we love you so much. Thank you so much for the leg up and the leg into this world of podcasting. You are such an incredible man, and we love you so much. Um, so, uh, yay. Hey,
1: hey, hey.
2: Hey guys, it's Sashir and Nicole from Best, Best Friends. Friends. Our podcast has been out for a few months. If you haven't listened to it, you should. We've already asked the big questions in life. Imagine if we could lay eggs. E- okay, sure. <laughs> I guess we <laughs> wouldn't that be funny if you could eat from yourself? No, because that's in when you cannibalism. Not when you eat yourself. What? Hmm? Answer listener questions. Hi, Nicole and Sashir. What happens if Sashir dies first? I mean, I've never thought of that. Well... I would be so sad. (laughs) Oh no, Nicole! Nicole! (laughs) 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 I'm not gonna die. Take Buzzfeed quizzes. Let's pick eight foods, and we'll give you a sex position to try. Whoa, this is wild. Plus, we bring on other funny best friends to talk about their friendship. I almost wanna cry, I feel, I don't know why that really made me feel emotional but It's because (laughs) it's pure to talk about friendship. It is, nice. It's It's so so nice. It's like so rare to like articulate it, but she's always there for me. Like I I think she's just somebody who. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love this, I love it so much. Oh my God. It's really sweet. Best Friends with Nicole Byer and Sashir Zameda is new every Wednesday on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen. Oh my god, too. <laughs>